please pray with me. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So in our cloister walk, there are 12 stones representing 12 significant places in the history of Christianity. And I'm not always sure why our forebears from 1958 decided to choose exactly these 12 stones to tell us the story rather than the scores of other stones they might have used to tell this story. It seems like a bit of an eccentric collection to me. For instance, why Antioch? Now it's true, in the time of Jesus and Paul, Antioch was one of the most glorious cities in the Roman Empire. During Jesus and Paul's time, it reached its peak population of 500,000 people, which would be huge by the standards of the ancient world, and made it the third largest city in the world after Rome and Alexandria. Herod the Great, a Roman puppet king during the time of Jesus, paved its streets with marble. But then in the dark and middle ages, Antioch became a shadow of its former glory, prone to earthquakes, and also becoming a political football tossed around between Roman Christianity, Greek Christianity, Islam, and the Mongols. Today, it is only ruins. So, what makes Antioch one of the 12 most significant places in the history of Kenilworth Union Church? Good question. I'm glad you asked. Two huge things happened at Antioch. First of all, Luke tells us that it was in Antioch that the disciples of Jesus were first called Christians. It was at Antioch that the world first recognized that the followers of Jesus were not just odd Jews, but something new and distinct entirely. It's an extraordinary name to be known by, isn't it, Christian? I mean, we're so used to it, we don't even notice the lofty expectations we impose upon ourselves when we call ourselves Christian. A Christian is, almost literally, a little Christ. And I know we throw it off so casually, right? Some people will only shop at Christian businesses. America is supposed to be a Christian nation. Europe is supposed to be a Christian continent. A person who helps a blind man across the street is a good Christian. But the significance of the name is cloaked by overuse. Maya Angelou was always surprised by the number of people who claimed to be Christian immediately once they'd made their confirmation or a public profession of faith. What, she always wanted to say, you're a Christian already? She thought of it as a lifelong task. The city of Antioch was founded 300 years before Jesus by Seleucus I Nicator, one of the generals of Alexander the Great. So I have to tell you this story about Alexander the Great. Maybe you've heard this before. Alexander the Great, of course, was one of the greatest military leaders who ever lived. He had conquered the whole known world 300 years before Jesus. The story goes that when he reached the Indus River, he wept because there were no more worlds to conquer. And so, of course, for a man like that, one of the things he hated more than anything else in all the world was cowardice. 
And the story goes that Alexander the Great was presiding over a series of courts martial in a magnificent palace, and soldier after soldier was brought before him to be charged with dereliction of duty. Some of them were sentenced to death and others to the brig. Alexander was not known for his clemency. And then they brought a 17-year-old boy to the general. He'd been caught fleeing the battle from fear and hiding in a cave instead. The other soldiers in the room just looked at the floor. No one who was there expected this to have a good ending. But the boy was so young and so afraid that you could see Alexander's face soften. And he asked, soldier, what is your name? And the boy answered, sir, my name is Alexander. And you could see Alexander's face grow stern and angry once again. What did you say, boy? What's your name? My name is Alexander, sir. One more time, soldier. Tell me your name. My name is Alexander, sir. And then Alexander the Great rose from his judicial bench and grabbed the soldier by his tunic and practically lifted him off the floor. And he says, young man, change your conduct or change your name. Yes? Something to think about? Now, how do we own a name as lofty as Christ's? How do we deserve the name Christian? Did you see Dylan Roof's bond hearing? Did you hear the survivors of his victims showing him mercy and forgiveness through their tears and suffering? And did you get just the, the, just the smallest glimpse of the almost miraculous grace of the African-American Christian? One reporter who was there said, it was as if the Bible study never ended. Yes, that's how we deserve the name Christian. We live our lives as if the Bible study never ended. John and Kathy, Diane, Joe, Jill. We live as if the Bible study never ends. So, that's the first huge thing that happened at Antioch. It was the place where the name of Christ was first turned into an adjective to describe the likes of you and me. We've been trying to live up to it ever since. And the second huge thing that happened at Antioch is that from there, St. Paul won a decisive argument with St. Peter. And if that doesn't sound like such a huge deal to you, let me explain. For the first 10 years or so of the church's existence, all Christians were Jews, of course, right? Christians were nothing more than a subsect of Judaism. They were just odd Jews. Just Jews who believed that the Messiah had come, and while he was here, he lived in the small town of Nazareth. All Christians kept kosher and observed the Sabbath, and if they were male, they'd been circumcised. And then Paul comes along, and after a brief career of harassing these Christians, he gets knocked off his horse on the road to Damascus, which we'll hear about next week, and convinces himself that he, Paul, is being called to preach Jesus to every human being in the Roman Empire. 
Now this, of course, scandalizes the very Jewish church in Jerusalem, and Peter, of course, who's the very first pope, is charged with the task of getting Paul to stop preaching Jesus to every unwashed Philistine in the Roman Empire. And when Peter and Paul get together to hash this out, Paul says to Peter, Look, you stubborn fisherman, you and I both know that we are saved by faith and not by works of the law. You and I both know that keeping kosher and observing the Sabbath don't get you closer to God. The only way you can get closer to God is through Jesus Christ. And though Jesus was indeed a Jew, Jews have no monopoly on his grace. Jesus belongs to everybody. This is the very heart and soul of the Christian gospel, and it is first preached by St. Paul to the first pope, St. Peter. And after listening for several hours to Paul's bulletproof disputations, Peter finally discovers that nobody ever wins an argument with St. Paul, capitulates, looks down sheepishly at his shoes, and says in a near whisper, Brother Paul, you're right. Jesus belongs to everyone. And so, if you are an Irish American, or an Italian American, or a Scottish American, or a Dutch American, or a Greek American, this is a big deal. Because had not Paul won that decisive argument with St. Peter, we European Americans would still be worshiping trees like our distant ancestors, the Druids, instead of Jesus of Nazareth. That's how important this argument is. And so they call Antioch the cradle of global Christianity. Paul uses Antioch as his headquarters and launches all three missionary journeys from Antioch. And after 10,000 miles of walking and sailing and horsebacking across the length and breadth of the Roman Empire, Jesus is brought to every urban center in the Mediterranean basin. And it is at Antioch that the Jerusalem church first discovers that Jesus' church is a lot bigger and a lot messier and a lot more checkered and a lot more brindled and a lot more multi-hued and polyglot, but also a lot lovelier than they ever dared to dream. And so now you know why this morning it feels as if God is hurling this Antioch rock straight at me. In Columbia this morning, the American and South Carolinian flags are flying at half-mast, while the Confederate flag towers high above. They call her Mother Emmanuel in a city which was once the bustling headquarters to the slave trade and where the first shots of the Civil War were fired, in the state which was the very first to secede from the Union, she was born because her members were not welcome in white churches. In 1822, when her members protested the horrible idea of slavery, they burned her down and they worshipped in secret until the end of the war. And we still don't understand how big and how mottled Jesus' church truly is. 
You know, I'm very tempted to consider someone like Dylan Roof to be an aberration. It's almost a mentally challenged high school dropout, right? He's an aberration, just a whack job. But the thing is, you see, whack jobs don't create themselves. They don't appear among us ex nihilo. The words he used before he shot those people, you're taking over America, you're raping our women, those twisted lies come straight to his brain and lips from the revolting propaganda of white supremacy. Dylan Roof did not create himself. Do you remember how Francis McDormand puts it to Gene Hackman in that old movie, Mississippi Burning? Hatred is not something you're born with. It gets taught. At seven years of age, you get told it enough times, you believe it. You believe the hatred. You live it. You breathe it. You marry it. But here's the good news. Despite or maybe because of its fraught history, the city of Charleston is already coming together to obliterate Dylan Roof's malice. They know that Jesus' church is a lot bigger and a lot more checkered and a lot lovelier than any of us dared to dream. And so after the shooting at a prayer meeting at another AME church just down the road from Mother Emmanuel, Bishop John Richard Bryant took the pulpit and he looked out over his congregation, multi-ethnic, multiracial, black and white, Jew and Christian, and he said, you look like a quilt. You're patches. You all fit somewhere. Or as Paul put it to the Galatians from his headquarters in Antioch, in Christ there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, there is neither black nor white, there is neither gay nor straight, for all are one in Christ Jesus our Lord. At Antioch, we learned that the church of Jesus is a quilt. We're patches. And we all fit somewhere. Please pray with me. Loving Father of us all, hear our prayers. Heal our broken hearts and help us to know your consolation. Still our anger and help us to know your peace. Speak to our confusion that we might understand your truth. Calm our fear that we might be delivered into your surpassing love. We lift up to your safekeeping Sharonda Coleman Singleton, 45, a speech therapist and track coach who taught her athletes how to throw the discus, leap the hurdles, break the tape, and be honorable young women. Cynthia Hurd, 54, a librarian who loved books, family, her city, and finding the answers to questions. Susie Jackson, 87, 
chorister and usher at Mother Emanuel for decades. Ethel Lee Lance, 70, Sexton at Mother Emanuel for 30 years. Payne Middleton Doctor, 49, admissions counselor, and mother to four daughters, the youngest, 13. Clementa Pinckney, 41, pastor at Emanuel, state senator in South Carolina, a voice for the disenfranchised. Tawanza Sanders, 26, recent college graduate who died defending his aunt from the shooter. Daniel Lee Simmons, senior, 74, minister on the staff at Mother Emanuel. And Myra Thompson, 59, a preacher's wife and Bible study teacher who loved Jesus. Receive them into your mercy, into the blessed rest of everlasting peace, and into the glorious company of the saints in light. Amen.